My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price for all my sin at Calvary. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely gives. No merit of my own is anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. For me, for me he died, he died for, me, for me, for me he lives. And everlasting life and light he freely gives. And now for me. Good job, good job. We thank God for being here and uh, for my friend, your pastor, Pastor Ron, inviting me to come and, and share with you on another Lord's Day. Um, I was asked, uh, you know, how, how often do you come? I said, well, whenever I'm available and anytime he invites, you know. Uh, um, I pastor a church in Plant City. Um, I used to work for the convention years ago, and I passed a church in Plant City, and uh, it's a church of, uh, we're trying to reach the hip-hop culture, young people, and uh, God is blessed. We, I think we're doing a pretty good job at it, and uh, we're trying to do our best. Uh, at our church, when I say turn in your Bibles, 
they pull out their cell phones and iPads. <laughs> and I asked my wife one day, I asked my cousin and my wife one day, I said, why ain't anybody coming with their Bibles? And uh, they said, they are. They have their iPhones and their iPads. I says, oh. And uh, he said, you know, you have the slogan that uh, this is not your grandmother's church. <laughs> and I say, yes, we do. And he said, your second part of that slogan should be, but your granddaddy is the pastor. (laughs) So uh, it is good to be in the Lord's house. And uh, thank you for coming and and being a part of this worship experience. Good to see my friend Fran. And uh, thank God for her. Amen. And what the Lord is doing in her life. And all of you, um, you all have been very hospitable to me. You always invite me to to lunch and you're very kind and I enjoy coming when I'm asked and when I'm available to come. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Eternal and everlasting Father, we're grateful for our time together on this day. We thank God for your presence and we thank God for this worship experience. We ask, Master, that you would continue to move in this worship service, continue to bless this church and this pastor. Be with us on this day, Lord, that we may share something that will help us in our individual walk, that we may be able to leave this place, experience another level of living. We may rush out of here and apply the principles that we learn on this day to our individual life. We ask this prayer in your son's name, and they all say it. Amen. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bible to First Peter. The uh, first chapter. And what I want to do for a few moments is I want to uh, talk to you about the experience of salvation. And uh, I want to do this as it relates to uh, our individual walk and as the passage of Scripture speaks to us. Do you mind? Just for a few moments. Amen? Amen. I really understand that the Lord has, uh, has been good to many of us. But yet in our walk, we often, we often experience sufferings. And uh, sufferings in our life are not always easy. I believe, as one writer, as one worshiper says, God, has, God is doing a glorious thing in us to get us to be more like his son, Jesus. However, the process in accomplishing that is very painful for us, isn't it? Because God is working on us and we're experiencing pain and encounters in our life. And we experience those pains every day. As the writer says in in James, the first chapter, he says that we should count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, trials, and sufferings. You know, God is moving us. Amen. He's moving us on this journey. But we should count it all joy. It's almost as if it's a paradox, you know, joy, sufferings, you know. We count it all joy when we're experiencing pain in our life. But then we must understand what that joy is. And I believe the writer talks about this in Peter. We must understand what that joy is. He, you know, it is God making us better. That's what it is. I mean, he's 
smoothing off the rough edges of Maxi to make him better. Amen. He's trying to improve me as I am in the Lord. Amen. And make me better. And uh, one may say, well, Reverend, all sufferings is not to make us better. No, that's true. All sufferings is not to make us better. The enemy calls sufferings to come in our life, or we cause them to come in our life. In that same chapter of James 1, amen, when he says, carrying all joy, that's what God does to help us become better. But on down in that same chapter, verse 13, 14 or so, the passage mentions about sufferings again, or trials again, and there. It's what the enemy calls to defeat us. You know, the enemy wants to bring us down to keep us from accomplishing God's will. So anytime he brings sufferings in our life, it's to defeat us. But when God brings us suffering, it's to make us better. It's almost if you're sitting in a math class, anytime a teacher gives you a math test, she's, she's trying to help you to become better. You know, many of you may not like the test. You know, but it's helping us to become better. When Jesus told the disciples, uh, let us go to the other side, uh, that was discipleship 101. He had already had class with them, and he says, now let us go to the other side. He wants to test their faith. Amen. He wants to see if they have learned anything to make them better. When we arrive at First Peter, the first chapter, what we find in the second verse, and I'm going to walk down these verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read it as I deal with it. I'm going to unpack it and deal with it as we deal with it together. Notice what he says. Peter is writing this passage, and he's writing about sufferings and heartaches, and he's, and he's dealing with it from a position of salvation. Isn't that something? I think there's something to know about Peter in that his name, matter of fact, he's the only individual who has three names in Scripture, but in, in his name, his name, Simon, amen, that, that was his surname. That's what God gave. I mean, that's what he received uh, from birth. But then he had an encounter with Christ, and Christ changed his name from Simon to Peter, rock, you know, little stone. I think he understands a lot about suffering because sometimes in his walk, he opened his mouth at the wrong time. He did the wrong things at the wrong time. It kind of reminds me of myself. You know, you know, some of us, and, and if the truth is told, some of you, you kind of speak up or say things at the wrong time when you shouldn't say it. When Peter talks about this elect of God, look at verse 2. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, peace be multiplied. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. The first thing we understand is that when we, God saves us, when we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, he saves us. We are saved, amen. We accept him as our personal Lord and say we are saved. Matter of fact, he speaks here of a process. Look at verse 2. The elect of God, foreknowledge. This word foreknowledge is not a Calvinistic expression. It's not what Calvin says that God knows 
who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, who's going to accept him, who's not going to accept him. Now, that, that's not what the foreknowledge means. I'm not implying that God doesn't know that, but that's not what the foreknowledge means. Foreknowledge means in, Bible, in biblical terms is what God does, amen, as it relates to him bestowing his love upon us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So because God loved us and bestowed this love on this world, amen, he says God will do this act of salvation through his spirit, look at the verse, through sanctification of the spirit, which ushers us into a relationship of Jesus Christ. See it in the verse? Sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience, sprinkled unto the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, peace be multiplied. Now, some of you have, may have been here before when I preached, right? And uh, I want to say this now because some of you may not remember. But uh, anytime I'm preaching and it looks like you don't understand what I'm saying, it adds five or ten more minutes on each point. So if you're sitting here listening to what I'm saying, look like you understand what I'm saying. Amen? Amen. So we won't be long. Amen. God bless you. So then we understand this salvation experience from what Christ does in us, right? We see that in the second verse. But let's, let's go on. Let's look at the third verse. In other words, Peter is talking about this suffering of glory that runs through Scripture and encourages and testifies of the grace of God. In other words, our testimony should be about what the grace of God and what God has done in us and through us. It's not about churches. I mean, that's okay. You know, this is a nice church, nice pastor. That's great. Uh, but we ought to be testifying about what God has done in us. Amen. And that's the experience that we have in our walk with Christ. So he's, he talks about this, what God has done in us. He says, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a lively hope. In other words, it's because of God's mercy that we are saved. Mercy. You know what? I have been guilty of a lot of things, but I like when I became knowledgeable of Jesus Christ and he came into my life. Mercy writes it off. Oh, mercy writes it off. It's almost like in Shakespeare when... when Macbeth was talking, and he says, when he killed his brother, he says, all the blood, I mean, all the waters of Neptune cannot wash away the blood from these hands. Only Jesus Christ can cleanse us of our sins. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius. Only Jesus can wash away the blood of our sins. Scripture says he takes our sins and places them as far as the east is from the west. Scripture also tells us he takes our sins and throws them in the deepest sea and posts a sign and said, no fishing. In other words, people can't come look for our past. Amen. He takes our sins and throws them behind his back, never to look upon them again. I am grateful for what Jesus has done in my life. According to man's eyes, Maxie is guilty of everything. But according to God's, in other words, people, you're not righteous. We don't live to be righteous. God, listen, listen, righteousness comes from what Christ is, not from what we, who we are. Amen. So when God sees Maxie, he doesn't see Maxie based on Maxie's own merit. 
He sees me based on what Christ is and it's his righteousness. And it's because of him alone the reason why we're here today celebrating. Amen. It's not because of who I am, degrees, or how much I have, or how much I have in my 401k or whatever. It's, that's not about that. What it's about, it's about Christ and what Christ's righteousness, his righteousness and what he has done in me and through me. So it's his mercy. So God looks at Maxie and he, he says, you know, he's guilty of this. He did this the other day. He did this. The other, and Christ says, now, I died for that. I'm sitting on your right hand for that. What we believe is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is one. Now, how we communicate that, we communicate it in light of Scripture, is that God sits on the right hand of the Father. Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father. And he writes it off. Whatever, he writes it off. That's mercy. That's mercy. Writes it off. When I, uh, I used to be stationed at MacDill before I retired from the military, and uh, when I was coming back to Florida to pastor in Plant City, uh, I guess about 15 or 16 years ago, I was driving down 75. And uh, my sons were driving in first car. I mean, we were moving. I mean, we were just, it was, you know, we just, you had the music on, you just, you know, you just, I mean, we in other words, when I mean move, we wasn't doing the speed limit. We were. Are y'all feeling me here? And we were moving. And the uh, state trooper pulled up beside my son. And, uh, and there was his lights on and told him to pull over. And then he slowed, my son pulled over and he slowed down and waited for me to get beside him. And then he said, So I pulled over, both of us. And uh, he went to my son and said, I'm going to give you a ticket. He went and came to me and I'm getting. I said, man, you know, I just, you know, I'm just moving here, you know. I just retired from me. I'm moving back, you know, past the church. I said, you know. And I, I said, can you have some mercy? <laughs> I said, can, can you give me a little mercy, right, just right here, just, just. And see, sir, what I, what I need is, that's my son. That car's registered in my name. He don't have a job, so, so anything he do, I got to pay for it anyway. I said, so, <laughs> I said, so can, you just, can you just give me a little mercy? He said, Mr. Miller, I want you and your son, your wife, to get in the car, and, and I don't want to see you no more. I said, thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I thank you. I got in the car and said, son, you better not go over 65. <laughs> And what happened is the officer granted us mercy. Now, that doesn't happen all the time in life. Amen. But it does happen with the Lord. Amen. God grants us mercy. But notice, notice what he says in verse 3. He says, Have begotten us again unto a lively hope. Which means that this is what's happened. When we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, mercy is granted to us, yes. But guess what? We're not entering into a dead relationship. It's a live relationship. You ever talk to your wife and your wife says something to you and you say, mm. 
I, my, I do it all the time. My wife started talking. I'm saying, I'm thinking about something, watching a football game or studying something. And she says, and she says, I'm not talking to a dead man. I need to hear something. <laughs> Listen, I need to hear something. And I said, yeah, okay. And she says, and she says, saying okay is just like not saying that. You even hear what I said. I said, okay, but it's all right. What I'm saying to you, our relationship with God is not a relationship that is dead. It is lively. It is lively. Why is it lively? It's in the verse. It's in, look at the verse. Look what the verse says. We, un, un, we again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive. Alive. He is alive and well. Amen. He is living. My relationship with him, he's a living God. Amen. You can find Muhammad's grave. You can find him. You can find Moses' grave. You, you can find those folks' grave, but you can't find the Lord's grave because he is a, he's not there. He's alive. He is living. I thank God that we serve a living God. Amen. His, he is resurrected. He is alive and well. Amen. And guess what? He intercedes on our behalf. That's his mercy. But look at verse 4. Verse 4 is so cool. It says, To an inheritance of incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved for me in heaven. You know what? What that means is that God has granted me an inheritance that has my reservation on it. Matter of fact, as one writer says, God has given me, in him is a promissory note. He's promising me. If you ever brought a house, you brought a house, and what happens is you give the person a down payment, and that down payment becomes a promissory note. In other words, before salvation, amen, that's our first birth. After salvation, we enter into a second birth, amen, into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that second birth, you and I receive a promissory note of salvation. So not only are we saved, amen, but in that, sec in that birth, we receive this promissory note, which is an inheritance. It is a reservation for you and I in glory. And guess what? It's not based on what we've done. Matter of fact, salvation is never based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has already done. And because of what Christ has already done, I receive the activity of the Holy Spirit into my life. And the Spirit of God draws me to a Savior that is able to cleanse me of all sin and all unrighteousness. I like how the writer says in 1 John, the second chapter, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he has made the perpetuation for your sins, but not for your sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. Which means he stands in my stead and speaks. He is an advocate, a lawyer who pleads my case. He's unlike the lawyers that you probably know. I, I need to say that real quick because there might be some in here that, yeah. 
He's unlike those lawyers you know. He's, he's just. He's holy. And he is all righteous. So he intercedes on my behalf. Because he gives, he, there's an inheritance that's granted unto me. It's not, you see, in the product, when, the, when in Luke, when the prodigal son went to his father and asked for his inheritance, his father was still living. My dad is 88, 89 years old. And uh, I can't go to him and say, give me my inheritance. Because what that implies is in my heart and in my spirit that you're already dead. Just give me what I need to make it. Are you following what I'm saying? So here, God, because of Christ, because of the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the love of God, the spirit have drawn me to Christ and have promised me in glory an inheritance. Let me explain this way. Philippians 1 and 6 says, He who hath begun a work in us is able to continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, young man, what is real is anything that God starts in you, he's able to finish it if you let him. Amen? Because God don't do anything incomplete or halfway. Amen? He does it all the way. I know what I used to be, and God has made me into what I am now. And guess what? If you knew what I used to be, you'd say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe. But God can take nothing and make something out of it. Only he could. And, and what I've learned in this passage is God is the only individual that can do redecorating. You and I can't. I have to remind my wife that all the time. You, you, God, no, you, I've been trying to change him for you. No, you can't do, God is in the redecorating business, not us, the Lord. And, only, and, and when we have problems in our life, when we experience things in our life, and those persons you're sitting next to, only God can change them, not you. You can pray for them. You can lift them up to the Lord. Let's not hold us too long. Second point. There's a salvation that there, there's a, when we experience salvation, there's a point where God saves us and promises us inheritance. But there's a second point in this. Look at verse 5 through 8. Who are kept by the power of God through faith until salvation, ready to reveal in the last time. Wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory unto the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom thou now see him not yet believing, ye rejoice which all joy and unspeakable and full of glory. So then, what we see in, in verse 5 through 8, this is what we see. First of all, we are saved. We accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And God does that work in us and promises inheritance. But when we get to verse 5, we see he keeps us. That's 
salvation working through us. I like that. You know why salvation working through us? Because it talks about it talks about the trials and the experiences and the sufferings that I'm going to experience right here. Now, I thank God for what he's done for me in saving me, but I'm still wrestling. I'm still dealing with this keeping thing. You know that? And the truth is told some of you all out. We don't, we don't do everything just right. Uh, you, you say, I'm saved and I'm, yeah, you're saved. That's great. That's fantastic. I'm holding and that, yeah, we all are like that. But we don't live right all the time with our neighbors. We don't communicate. We don't establish our relationship right with our neighbors. Let me say it this way. There are times in my life that, oh yes, I know God. He's accepted me and I've accepted him. I'm into this relationship with him. But I don't speak right all the time to folk. There's a humanity side of me that comes up. Sometimes folks just rub you the wrong way. That doesn't mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean you don't know Jesus. But what it says, it speaks of this salvation issue and how we ought to deal with life through trials and temptations and encounters with other folk. Amen? The church often perpetuates or paints a picture that worshiping God is all about celebration. Well, that's true, but it's not totally correct. When we read in the Psalms, we read about how the psalmist experienced it. Matter of fact, uh, Walter Boogerman talks in his book, Preaching Through the Psalms, or Message Through the Psalms, he talks about man is either Man is either in orientation, reorientation, or disorientation. Matter of fact, H. Beecher Hicks talks about it in his book. talks about man is either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or headed into a storm. Which means there's never a time in our life that we will doubt a storm, we will doubt encounters or sufferings in our life. And the psalmist talks about that in the psalms. He, he speaks to God. He cries out to God. And there's many times when the psalmist is crying out to God, God doesn't say anything. Check out Psalm 88. God doesn't say nothing. And he's hurting in his pains. I got an aunt, and I may have shared this with you before. You call her home in the answer machine. This is Shirley. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And... She gives you a couple of passages, and she says, I'll pray. and then she prays a prayer for you. And then she says, at the sound of the tone, please leave your message. Well, by that time, I'd have forgot what I called for. <laughs> listen. Listen. And this, and this is my point. All of us don't wake up on this cloud of euphoria and utopia with God all the time. Sometimes in our life, we're down here. That's what the summit we're talking about. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow. We're in valleys. We're not always on a mountaintop. We're not always praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes there are things that we're Sometimes people rub us the wrong way. You know some of those folks. There's a lady who uh, I eulogized a few, a few months ago. Sweet lady, Miss Bobby. Miss Bobby is, I was pastoring in Birmingham, and I had left a meeting, and uh, 
And I, I use the pastor as an example, but I got kinfolks in my family that wrote me the wrong way. I got siblings that, I mean, we just, we can't get on the same page. I don't care what. I left this meeting. And uh, I called Miss. She said, babe, I heard about me. How you doing? I said, I'm fine, Miss Bobby. I'm fine. I don't know. I just, you know, sometimes people just really get under my, she said, I know. Just, it's going to be all right. I said, yes, ma'am, Miss Bobby. I said, but I'm going to do like Pastor Porter says. And, uh, and she said, what did he say? I said, he just said, give it to the officers of the church and go home and take a nap. <laughs> she said, baby, you, you, she said, baby, you can't do that. You just can't do that. And I says, yes, ma'am, I understand. Well, I'll do like my professor did when I was in seminary. He, she said, what did he say? And I said, he says, get your golf clubs and get some golf balls. Go to the golf course and write everybody's name on the golf ball. <laughs> and then hit those balls as hard as you can. <laughs> and Miss and Miss Bobby says, "Baby, you you can't you can't do that. You can't. You you you're a preacher. You can't do that." I said, "Miss Bobby, but it hurts and it, it frustrates me." I had, I told this story in the other service, and the lady walked up to me, and she says. Pastor Mill, next time, before you hit those balls, you just pray over each name. And then I said, no. I heard what she said, but I said, that ain't. (laughs) But in reality, that's what we should do. Amen. We should commit our life to prayer. We should be in prayer praying for our neighbors and not beating our neighbors up all the time. Amen. Amen. But it's hard to do that because we live in this earthly body and we wrestle. We we. As one writer says, we're caught between a push and a pull. You know, you want to say something, but you, well, okay, I can't say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm just, Lord, help me. Hold my tongue. Guard my mouth. So what the writer is saying here, there is a salvation that saves us. But then there is a salvation that keeps us to help us understand how to live with each other. We have to work it out. Power of salvation helps us to exemplify salvation in our relationships with others. The great English preacher Spurgeon says, Little faith would take your soul to heaven, but great faith would bring heaven to your soul. And that's really what we want, right? We want heaven to meet us in our encounters. A.W. Tozer says, whatever a man or woman thinks about God says a lot, comes to their mind about God, says a lot about who they are in their relationship with God. Bonhoeffner says, a call to discipleship is a call to die. You and I have a responsibility to die. Bonhoeffner also says that there's no such thing as cheap grace. In other words, we just can't come to church and just give our tithes and give our offerings and think God's going to make it work out. And it's all, no, no, there's no such thing as cheap grief. You know, Christ has already died for us. And in some, and in some reality, we've got to die to ourselves. We've got to die to our own will, our own way. We can't say it anymore, I'm just like my dad, that's why I do that. Or I'm just like my mama, that's why I do that. Or... Or you know me, that's just the way I am. No, everyone that has an encounter with Christ 
Anytime you have an encounter with Christ, you never leave the same way you came. And there's no perfection in us. So there are things that we still wrestle with. But orange trees don't bear apples. I like this. There is a, a salvation that experience salvation that saves us. Salvation that keeps us in our walk so we can relate to others properly like we should. And as we close, look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. And what he says is the experience of salvation will take us, usher us to our ultimate end. I like what the writer says in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and I would come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you shall be also. Paul says it this way in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter. He says it this way in verse 13. To the end of my may be established your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints when we talk about this word salvation or saved in the Greek in essence what it's implying that we are saved because we've accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We are being saved. In other words, living down here, God is helping us to live out our salvation. I like how Paul says it, work out your soul salvation in fear and trembling. It's not that I work to be saved, but I make manifest what's on the inside of me, on the outside of me. I work it out. I let others see that I am a believer because of my actions and how I live. And then I shall be saved. In other words, he's going to come back and take me out of all this mess. You know, only God can take a mess and turn it into a blessing. You know, he's going to bless me. He's going to lift me out of all of this. I believe that's what the writer means when he talks about, theologians mean when he talks about having the assurance of salvation. The insurance that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You may be sitting here and you may not know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You may not have accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior. I want you to understand today, it's not an accident that you're here. I don't know who you are, but the Lord knows who you are. And I want to encourage you today, if you're here, you can come. Let us stand. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, because it's impossible for God to allow sin into heaven. Why? Because God is love. Yes, God is also just. James 2.13 tells us that. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Luke 13 and 3 says, Unless you repent, 
you would all likewise perish. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 3 and 4 says, Jesus did three things for us according to Scripture. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And because of that, in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And when you're saved, you're headed on the highway to heaven, but not just heaven hereafter, heaven right now. John 10, 10, Jesus is talking. He says, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Why do we need an abundant life? Because we got a home in glory. A mansion with a lot of rooms in it. That we can celebrate with the Lord forever. If you don't know him, you can come and accept him right now. Come on. Is that one? You can come. Is that one? As our musician comes, you can come. Right now.